and all of a sudden we were hit by a wind that literally shook the car. Then came the rain within seconds and with the rain came hail. It was white all around us. We could just make out the lines. I managed to get a few shots of, off of Scar running in the storm trying to get to cover. And you have like branches in the air. Everything is just a haze with this male line main blowing everywhere. You can see the hail, like literally the ice balls falling through the sky. Hello and welcome to season five of the Viewfinders Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Dargie. I'm a professional photographer here in Aberdeen in Scotland. To kick off this season of the show, I have a very special guest indeed. You just heard him talking about one of the countless unforgettable experiences he's had in his career, wildlife photographer and safari guide Marlon Detoy. I'll introduce Marlon in a minute, but first, here's a question. What's the difference between a good photographer and a great photographer? In a time where we all have great equipment, we all know the same techniques, and we can all more or less get to the same places, the difference must be what the photographer is thinking when they lift the camera, look through the viewfinder, and press the button. This is the show where we delve into the thoughts and experiences that shape some of the best photographers in the world with the aim of inspiring you to take the next bold steps on your photography journey. And maybe we can just give you an hour off from thinking about the latest crisis we're all facing in this crazy world. Well, it's been a minute. Have you been wherever you are? I hope you're safe and well here in my corner of the world. Uh, I've been kind of busy. Uh, one of the many things I've learned from doing the podcast is that the best photographers in the world take what they do seriously, they don't cut corners, and they stay in their niche. So I'm trying to do all of those things and, uh, yeah, shooting lots of headshots and just trying to do everything to the highest standard that I can. And, uh, yeah, things are moving in the right direction for sure. In terms of the podcast, uh, I'm loving putting together this new batch of episodes but I am a bit busy uh, in a good way. So just to let you know, I'll be releasing new episodes fortnightly for the rest of this year at least. Uh, that just makes it a little bit easier for me and means I can keep everything to a high standard. I'll also be launching some more Viewfinders Live events with some of my favorite guests from the show. And you'll be hearing about that over the coming weeks and months. And I'll be using the ad slots on the podcast so I can always keep you up to date with the latest events that you can join in with. Well, it's summer here and uh, yeah, I'm trying to fit in as much roller skating as possible right now while the sun's out and you can see my progress on Instagram. Uh, otherwise, running around after my daughter as well. She's on a bit of a roll at the moment. She's six, uh, just coming to the end of P1. That's uh, the first year of school here. She's got an excellent report card. Uh, she was in a dance show that she's been practicing for for months and she's had her first ever school sports day. So proud parent alert here. She won both the running race and the sack race. So yeah, we're very proud, very excited and very grateful for all the milestones she's hitting. How about you? I'd love to know what you're getting up to. So please connect with me on Instagram at Viewfinders Podcast and drop me a line if you've been listening to the show or if you have any feedback or suggestions for photographers who you'd like to hear on the show. Don't forget to subscribe or follow Viewfinders on your favorite podcast platform. And if you don't mind, drop me a five-star review to help get this show into the ears of more people just like you who'd love to hear it. All right, on to this week's episode. My guest this week has been on my list for a long, long time. 
Marlon Dutoy is a wildlife photographer and safari guide based in South Africa. He literally grew up in a national park and he's been working as a safari guide for nearly 20 years. Marlon excels at capturing the beauty and brutality of life in the wild and his enthusiasm for conservation, wildlife and adventure is authentic and infectious. Marlon has appeared on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, the NBC show, the Martha Stewart show, and now this show. His photography and travel experiences have been featured in magazines like National Geographic, and he's also an ambassador for Sony Alpha Photography Equipment. If you're interested in safari or wildlife photography, you're gonna take so much away from Marlon. But if you're not, you'll get a glimpse into this world through the eyes of one of the leading experts in the field, whose passion, dedication and joy for what he does is just so inspiring. Hope you enjoy this. Here's my conversation with Marlon Detoy. Marlon Detoy, welcome to Viewfinders. Yeah, thanks for thinking of me and uh, for making the opportunity a possibility. No, you're so welcome. Yeah, so excited to talk to you today. Um, Africa and safari is a big part of my photography journey and my personal journey. Um, so just a quick fill in for you regular listeners are going to be rolling their eyes here because they've heard this before but um, my wife comes from Kenya I'm based in Scotland and um, yeah from doing tuition like I was saying to you before I was doing tours here in Skye, Glencoe in the Scottish Highlands and then the next logical step for me when that was going well was to do a safari in Kenya it was just it just made sense to for my story because we've got the lay of the land over there we've got contacts etc so did that in 2018 that was fantastic just the best thing i've ever yeah. done and then one reason or another and pandemic I, i'd lost some momentum and then the pandemic just kind of killed it off and i think for that if you're not out there doing it regularly to sort of drive the business and people don't see you doing it you're not doing it you know so i had to really let that go but the point is um i've just such a place in my heart for africa and it's such a special place and you capture the beauty and drama of the wildlife so well. I can't think of anyone who really does it better. And from your social media, it seems like even though you've done this a lot for a long time, you still have this sense of awe and wonder about the whole thing, which is so infectious. And um, so I realize we're finding you a, a really busy time in your life at the moment. Um, so do you want to bring us up to speed and what's happening for you right now? Where are you at in this moment? Absolutely. Yeah, I um, So, yeah, I recently started a, a business called Tanda Africa. Um, Tanda is a Zulu word and it means to love. So love Africa is the, essentially the company's name. And um, it's been a long time coming. I've been in the, the safari and photographic safari industry for um, the last 10 years or so. Prior to that, uh, lodge-based guiding also for about 10 years. Uh, so really, you know, kind of entrenched in the safari travel photographic industry. Um, and I wanted to bring all of that into a company, um, you know, that, that I can drive and kind of uh, build my ethos and standard um, and, uh, you know, just, uh, just bring my experience into a company where, where I have full control and I can deliver a guest experience that's very important you know i think um there's so many companies out there today that uh, offer some of the experiences many many of them are close friends of mine and everyone does well um but you know it's nice to be able to to put my stamp of um brand and and just experience on something that i that i that i fully own and and am involved with so that's what i've been busy just over the last year building into this business we launched it 
informally and, and it started operating in, in December and January and uh, formally got to launch the website a few weeks ago and the company's doing well. It's taken a heck of a lot of time. Uh, you know, you do you do everything from content creation, uh, marketing, social media, invoices, website building, mm-hmm. legal document. Like it's just there's a, you know everything that goes into a business. But I've truly enjoyed the journey so far, even though it has taken a lot of time. Um, it's uh, it's just been an investment that's that's well well worth it. You know, uh, it's morning yeah. started about three thirty or four o'clock every morning, and it goes through till about uh, ten eleven at night. And that's that's yeah. kind of like a full day, and it's I got I've been able to travel, which is great. I've traveled quite a bit over the last twelve months uh, this year as well, um, to all over from Botswana through to uh, uh, Tanzania, Kenya, a few great um, destinations and experiences. Quite a bit here in South Africa as well, and just nice to still be able to get out, you know, for the first time. And what I've really enjoyed in my photography, photographic guiding, I focus on clients. So really mm-hmm. um, very guest uh, focused, but the you know taking up my time and the last little bit has been travels without guests. And although I love mm-hmm. traveling with guests, I don't really get to focus on my photography when I have guests. Yeah, um, because it, it's it, I just don't I don't enjoy doing that. And guests pay me for a service, but for mm-hmm. you know for the first time in a long while, I've been able to get out on my own, and I feel uh, it's been great. You know, it's inspired me to to push the boundary a bit further to get a few shots that I usually wouldn't be able to. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been great, man. The last last twelve months have been uh, just really, really good. I was going to say, actually, I, I figured you'd been traveling on your own just to get things moving for the business, and it, but it shows in your photography. I would say your photography in the last few months has been up a level for sure. But I can understand you have to put the guests first uh, when you have guests. But yeah. being out there on your own must be feel like a bit of a luxury. It does, eh? and I've been able to go to some incredible places. And I've just come back from Great Plains. They've got a few camps in Botswana, actually in a few different countries, but got to visit some of their high-end camps in Botswana and um, just awesome to see those places. But um, yeah, so just, just traveling on my own has been, has been great. And, uh, you know, I often feel like in my position, and I see a lot of guides um, uh, online, I think they maybe they're not fully confident in their work or, um, maybe, maybe it's a con, I don't know what exactly it is, but you know, I've never been one to ask people, which one do you prefer? Do you prefer black or white? Do you prefer color? Uh, do you prefer this edit or that one? Or, you know, I feel like in our position as photographic guides and people who, who offer our services, you know, you kind of have to make that decision and, and decide that's, this is the one I'm posting. This is what I'm sharing. And this is why, this is why you can learn from it. And this is why you should travel with me because you can get the same. And I feel like over the last 12 months, I've really taken a step into that more and more. Um, you know, it helps. I shoot with incredible gear and I'm truly, I'm a, an ambassador for Sony. And they've, um, you know, really allowed me to, um, to, to use the best that's out there, you know, in terms of what they're putting out. Um, I, can, I have access to gear and it does make a difference being able to get your hands on, um, on some special equipment. And yeah, just taking that, taking more than I usually would. Sometimes now I travel with a, a 400 mil, a 600 mil, three or four wider lenses, because especially locally, I can just lug it all across things I don't really, you know, luxuries I don't get when I'm traveling with guests. And, uh, you know, my car is full of gear and equipment and sound equipment. And it's been a blast. Eh? And it, I think it inspires you. It helps you to lift your level. And um, when you're out with guests, my next 
trip with clients will be in July to Brazil, to the Pantanal for Jaguars, and again in August. I think by the time you get out with guests again, uh, you know, like, uh, thank you for saying, uh, you know, it doesn't look like I've lost my passion. Absolutely not. You know, if anything, mm-hmm. I just feel um, more enthusiastic and more energized about sharing what's out there with people online. Everyone's been, been through a tough time with uh, COVID, some more than others. And uh, it's just great to be able to inspire people and to uh, try to have people come out and experience nature. We can travel, whether yeah. they travel with me or whether it's just the trip on their own. You know, uh, Africa needs the business, Brazil, everywhere. You know, national parks all around the world need people to, to travel again. And um, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm inspired, then my content hopefully inspires people in the same way. Yeah. Totally. So um, I, I like to go back into people's past. And um, you, are you based in Johannesburg? Did you grow up there? I am. I'm uh, I'm based in Johannesburg, but I didn't grow up here. I grew up in the Kruger National Park. So in, um, well, not in the Kruger National Park, but there's a small town. Uh, it's one of the entry gates into Kruger National Park called Palabora. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up okay. there. Yeah, very much immersed in wildlife and safari uh, my dad had and owned a safari company, and uh, so I just I spent ample times in the bush on safari, looking for animals, and and you know, okay, yeah. You know, so that's very much what kickstarted my passion for what I do now. Yeah, I read uh, on your website. I think that you had a deep love for nature photography instilled by your dad. Yeah, very much. I was going to ask you to say more about that, but I, I didn't realize he was in the same business as well so yeah. uh, that what was that i mean was that just a normal growing up for you i guess pretty but much yeah. looking back like how what impact did that have on you big time you know like we uh my weekends were spent in kruger uh back then uh, safari camps like matsuari tandatula uh, mala mala sabi sabi you know those are a lot of the camps that he used to visit um he, mm-hmm. he wasn't you know he facilitated a lot of european guests uh, road transfers, drives into Kruger, sometimes two or three weeks, um, you know, exploring the different camps within Kruger, a few private trips. But, um, yeah, very much shaped what I do today. You know, I think often we're, we, um, you know, if your dad is a highly successful lawyer, there's a chance growing up that you'll spend a lot of time in the office with him and, uh, and probably wanting to, as a child, you know, especially as a son to a father, you probably follow in those steps to some extent. Um, because it's an environment that you grew up within. And from our side, it's, it's very much nature. Um, you know, even our town is, it's a small town, but we uh, often have, you know, hyenas running around the town and you can hear lions roaring from the park and all sorts of stuff like that. So it's just what we grew up with. And for me, a little bit more so purely because my dad had such a big love for the industry and for and for nature and photography. He was a very keen photographer. So like here, where I am, the safari sort of chapter of my career was so super mind blowing to me because for a kid from Aberdeen, I mean, it's the furthest place from safari. And I was like, how did I end up here? I was sitting there in in the car just thinking, this is amazing. It's not a career path here. You know, if you said you wanted to be a safari guide, you would be laughed at. (laughs) Obviously for you, I don't see how you could go and work in an office after that upbringing. So was it always just the thing you wanted to do? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, Working in the bush, working with animals, uh, being in the field, hands-on. Photography was a massive passion right from the start. And I mean, even as a, I started as a lodge-based guide, a safari guide. So where people would come to safari camps, I'd be one of the guides to take you out. I started with that early on. Um, and, uh, 
but always in the back of my mind wanting to take the photography, the experience, uh, showcasing nature a step or two further. Um, and uh, yeah, you say not working in an office. I work in an office right now. But, <laughs> you know, there, there's, uh, there's, I guess there's a, there's a glamorous side to what I do. And, and that's a lot of that is what people get to see, um, you know, on social media and the pictures and the images. But there's also a lot of hard work behind the scenes to make all of that happen, to drive all of that. Um, you've got to run a successful business still. Um, we've uh, already employed two people, so a team of four at the moment, and w- that team will keep growing. You know, and yeah, it takes it takes a lot of hard work to to live the life out there. But I promise you, once I'm on safari, once I'm doing what I love, I'm like I'm in my happy place. It's it, yeah. yeah. If I the only thing missing is my family. If my wife and kids are with me, that then that is that's the ultimate. Which you know, I took my kids and my wife to Mana Pools last year. Uh, took them mm-hmm. to the Sabi Sands. My wife's traveled with me a bit. We're actually on our way. In two weeks, we'll go to Tiger Canyon in South Africa with my wife and I. And then a couple of days later, we go to Lower Zambezi in Zambia also together. And so that to me is just being able to, especially under the new business, I can kind of make decisions like this and just uh, take the family with. And it's been incredible, man. Diverting. Yeah, that's bit. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's great. So how old are your kids? Three and six. Oh, One might come running okay. in here. He's a bit sick today, so he's at home. He's not at school. So if uh, okay. there's a child that bashes in here, I'll uh, try to convince <laughs> him to leave. But <laughs> That's, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's easier to get um, an elephant to stop charging me than what it is to tell a three-year-old what to do. What's, <laughs> so, uh, how how are the trips for the kids then? Do they enjoy it? They do. Yeah, I um, actually did a blog. I can share the link with you on the um, uh, video blog on the One Experience to Mana Pools. And uh, it's great, you know, it depends on the camp and what they allow for. Um, I think more and more safari camps are allowing kids because there's more families that want to travel. Families don't want to separate and go on their own and leave the kids behind. They want everyone to share in the experience. So a, lot, a lot of camps now offer villas or family houses or, you know, areas separate to the main lodge. You'll have the main lodge with six to eight rooms. Then you'll have a villa or, or a house type set up with its own chef and butler and safari vehicle. So you literally arrive at the lodge, you stay at the villa, and you never ever interact with the other guests really. So it's great right. for privacy or if you're on a honeymoon or a family trip. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. the kids might not go on safari if they're too young. You know, like in Mana Pools, there's a lot of walking. It's a very big walking destination. And so the kids weren't allowed to walk. I really, it's understandable. It's a lot of dangerous game. So they stayed on the car. I walked a little bit to do a bit of photography, but for the most part, the kids were on the car, in and around the car, but not walking too far from it. And so you just adapt a little bit to it. But kids on safari, it's, it's great. It's, it's awesome for families to be able to bring their kids out like that. I guess um, most people who come with you, they're, they're photographers. They want to go and do the wildlife photography. So... I wonder if in a quick nutshell, you can paint the picture for somebody who's listening to this. They might be in the car. They might not be able to get to a screen, but it's a bucket list kind of thing for a lot of people. So paint a picture of what someone can expect on a photography safari. What's the sort of general kind of itinerary? You know, the main thing why people would do this join me as opposed to just go on your own, you know, as if you go on your own, you get a, you know, you still get a great experience. You get a local guide. Um, that will drive you around. He may have some knowledge of photography. Um, he may not. You know, I find in South Africa, the guides have a good understanding of camera gear or better, whereas some countries you may not have that much. 
Um, you know, and, and sometimes you're at the mercy of other guests on the car. So if you got, unless you book a private safari vehicle, you'll probably have some other guests and they may want to sit around and wait for the leopard to wake up or they may not, you know, so they'll, these are things to consider. Um, you know, if you come out on safari uh, with me on a photographic safari, you know, we always have exclusive use of a vehicle, which is the most important thing for me. If, if guests reach out to me, they want to book a camp. If over those dates, there's no private vehicle exclusive to us available, I won't, I won't do, I won't, I've never taken guests on a vehicle with other guests. You know, we spend mm -hmm. three, four, five hours waiting sometimes for animals to, to actually wake up or do something or hunt or play or cubs to pop out or, you know, you never know what's going on. And so I think, you know, that's a big thing. It's just the experience and the ability to wait for something, to, to predict when it is worth investing the time to wait when it's not, um, you know. So I, I think that's a big thing on a photographic safari with me. It's uh, if I run you through a day, it's it's up early, you know. I make sure we we get out at the right time. There's no guess you've traveled with me. I'm up there an hour before we meant to be up there. I'm having my coffee, sitting around the fire. Guests start trickling in, and if I said we leave at five twenty, we got to be out at five twenty. That morning light is uh, it is beautiful, but it is a short little window. And so, you know, we, we get out, we're trying to maximize that experience. Um, and one of the biggest understated things is understanding what the animal does or where they move or what time they move or will it go up the tree? Will it, will it hunt? Uh, you know, where is it going to come out? What is the direction it's walking into? And I've got 10 years experience as a lodge based guide where I've studied, um, uh, you know, understanding animal behavior, spending hours and hours and hours of leopard time, lions, elephants, buffaloes, rhinos, um, observing them, watching them, not with camera in hand, you know, just, just truly watching and enjoying the experience of being with them. And all of this has uh, definitely gotten me to a point where I can um, not predict every movement, but I'm definitely often a, a second or two ahead of the animal. So I can tell the guests, watch, watch, watch. And then it happens, right? Mm -hmm. But in that two or three second gap, and this understanding what's coming, guests are ready for for the shot. Um, and also, vehicle positioning is a big thing that people sometimes take for granted. Is where that car is parked, taking in consideration the range of camera gear that's on the car. Um, you know, I always advise guests ahead of time. We speak months in advance, uh, Zoom meetings and face to face time, talking camera gear, what they should rent, what sh what they should um, buy. Uh, trying to prep them as best as possible for the trip coming up. And, uh, you know, it, it, you don't think about it much before, but if you come out there and you don't have the right gear, then it, it, it's a bit of a letdown. Or you look at somebody else and they, they're just nailing it and you're struggling because you weren't told that you're going to be shooting yeah. after dark in South Africa and you need a lens that can you know, cope and deal with the light. And understanding that, you know, if you have somebody with a 600 mil and a 400 mil lens, trying to figure out where do you park, how do you position the car, speaking to the local guide in, in, a, in, a, in a way that they understand what to do and what's expected of them because I'm not driving the car and I'm sitting in the back checking images, checking settings, vehicle positioning and the guide's driving and it's uh, a lot of, um, I find a lot of foreign safari guides come to Africa and um, I wouldn't say disrespect the local guide but you know, it's still a, it's still a human up front and I find often they, they, they get so caught up in the moment of the photograph that they'll that they, the way they interact with a local guide isn't great. You know, it's very demand-driven. Drive there, stop, 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 go forward. No, won't, too fast, go back. 
And if you're the one driving the car and you've got to change gears and you're in a cruiser, there's tree stumps, there's branches over, you've got to think about so much and you've got a guide in the back telling you what to do the whole time. That's a challenge, you know, so I understand how to work with these guys and for a lot of them, I'm friends with them, you know, I go back to Mana regularly, Sabi Sands, I preferred guides that I work with and so we understand one another, we understand the output. So, I mean, those are a few things to mention and all of this plays into a photographic experience. If if you travel with me, you know that I've researched the destination more than likely you know the, the camp and the guides we're going to use. You understand the animals, you know where to park, you know what time of day what um, you know to, to, to be where and you know, various places. Trips are always based around either the best time of year or around a specific event. Um, you know, if you go to the Serengeti, it's great to go earlier in the year because the wildebeest give birth and it's great to go in the middle of the year when they cross the Mara River. And so you're always looking um, for these events and the best times to travel. And uh, ultimately, that all goes into a six or eight or 12 day photographic experience with me. Um, and uh, the reward is that you walk away with a, a great portfolio. Um, that's that's yeah. the goal, you know, on-site editing. Um, it's, uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's no shoot, uh, go crazy during the day and at night we'll review because uh, then you would have missed it. <laughs> it's no point be telling mm-hmm. you at night, this is what you should have yeah. done. You know, I do it on in that moment. I'll look at your image and I'll tell you, this is wrong. Try this while the animal is still there, you know, leopard sitting on the mm-hmm. tree. And so, yeah, I hope that answers your question in a nutshell. Um, but the, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. benefits and people often look at the price. It is more expensive. You pay a premium service, I guess. Um, but uh, it's, I think it's well worth, uh, worth the reward. Yeah, I think you've painted such a great picture there and the value that you can add with the experience you've had. And even, like you say, things people might not necessarily think of, like interacting with the driver. And those drivers, I'm saying driver guide, yeah. it's not really fair to call them a driver, is it? Um, will have a lot of expertise on their own. And I think you got to work with that yeah. as well. I mean, it's a, if, if, if you're going for the first time or if you're a... Um, a if you don't have that much experience in the area, you, you don't know where to go. You don't know what roads to drive. Right. You don't know what the animals are. And I find, and I've seen it across, you know, sometimes being in the, in the field when other photographic guides are around or, you know, it's, uh, if you disrespect that guy, he's not going to show you all that much, you know? Um, yeah. I've been in that same seat with photographic guides when I was, when I was still a lodge based, lodge based guide. And it's not nice to be told what to do when the, this is the place you've been at for, for some of these guys have been working that same area for 15, 20 years. Yeah. And if you drive the same roads, the same area, the same neighborhood, the same animals, watching them grow up, and then somebody comes and tells you what to do and you know that you're doing it wrong, that's not that great. And I promise you that makes or breaks an experience. If, uh, mm-hmm. if, you, um, if you don't have that bond and that relationship, it just kind of sours the experience for everyone. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, so we're there. We're, we're on the safari with you. We're in the Land Cruiser. And now it's time to pick up the camera, okay? I was wondering, um, is there... I, I found it's quite an intricate setup for safari photography in the camera. Um, is there, like, one right way to set up the camera or would it depend on the subject or the skill level of the photographer? Is that something you could talk about? Yeah, look, I try to meet... Everyone's got different cameras nowadays, but I find that more and more people are coming on safari with pretty good gear, um, which is great. It's a good foundation to start off. And I'm a firm believer... I know there's a lot of people that advocate it's not about the equipment, it's about the you know the photographer and your skill level, and that is true to an extent. But I don't know if you watch Formula One, mm-hmm. right? So like I mean, you can give 
uh, uh, Max Verstappen a bad car and he's not going to finish first. Uh, it's yeah. it's just uh, he might be the best uh, skilled driver, whoever the, the driver is, but in a bad setup, he's probably not going to he'll, he'll drive well, but he's not going to finish first. And I find so often with photography, it's the same. If you give a skilled photographer a great piece of camera or, or equipment, you're just going to be able to extract that much more out of it. And so I always encourage my clients, if you don't have the best gear, maybe rent something. Rent a, a good camera, rent a new current camera, um, and bring that along with you. Because it's just going to help you get more out of the experience and you go home with the you know, stuff that you love to see. Um, in the past, I've had where I can get a great result because I'm using a 400 f2.8 in low light. And my guest with a 70 to 300 is looking, he's like, but mine's so dark. You know, it's, I, I, yeah. I should have brought my other. And so I'd rather just force people, bring the best that you can afford. You don't have to buy it, go and rent it, but it's going to pay off and you're going to be happy. So mm-hmm. uh, for me, that's the biggest thing about the setup. It's just, it's good to have the gear and, and have an understanding of it. Um, many times on safari and i think it's also one of the biggest mistakes is people pick up their camera the day they arrive back in africa and so i always encourage my clients take a week or two before photograph your dogs photograph your kids go to a bird park just do something with your camera in hand just practice those uh, uh, muscles a little bit um, figure out where the buttons are understand your iso auto iso which mode you're going to be shooting in um, and it's good advice and uh, you know for those listening if you if you go out to Africa, you can never say, I think in your head, you almost like want to build up to the experience. But the best sighting, the most intense action could come on the first afternoon. And there you are forgetting what manual is and which way aperture goes. And it's happening and, mm-hmm. and you just miss the complete event and you have nothing to show for it. And then you're disappointed and frustrated, which is also not great because you've just seen something amazing. But the frustration is there because you couldn't capture it. And mm-hmm. so a- another big thing, even before the trip has started, is to have at least a basic understanding of your gear. Pick it up. Have a, you know, Go and shoot a little bit. Um, dust the gear off and, and get used to those settings again. Uh, if you're mm-hmm. with a photographic guide, have a chat to them a week or two before. Maybe do a bit of a touch-up workshop with them. Just uh, rephrase uh, some of those uh, settings and things like that. I promise you, when you come on safari and you can hit the road running, it is so much easier for you instead of always wanting to ask or not not understanding what you're doing. But as for the setup itself, um, I um, you know, as, if you go through a day, I like to have uh, I like to shoot on manual mode with ISO on auto. I think a lot of guys nowadays do with the camera gear that we have, um, and uh, it just helps you throughout the day. It just makes it simple. Uh, and, and it allows you to focus on on things that you, you know, uh, usually don't, like the composition and some mm-hmm. of the other settings. But get everyone yeah. set up on a similar mode. If they're not on there, I can talk them through the benefits. Um, but I think once you have three or four or five guests shooting on the similar mode, it's easier. Mm-hmm. If one's shooting AV, the other TV, the other manual, it becomes quite yeah. difficult. And guests also get confused because in the moment, if I'm talking to guests, you know, to John over there, and he's on aperture, and, and Sarah's on manual, and I'm like, John, mm-hmm. just change your f-stop to this, or ISO to that, and Sarah's like, well, should I change mine? No, no, don't change yours, but, you know, yeah. and it becomes uh, quite confusing, so for me, I think if I can get everyone initially set up on, on a similar mode, speaking a similar language, it's very easy when I share um, settings in the field, um, and again, that if you understand your gear a bit, and you have shot before the trip starts, I promise you, like everything just flows and is a lot more natural. If I say, you know, underexposed by a, a 
two, two, two and a third, then they'll immediately underexpose by two and a third and they, and they can keep yeah. going instead of double checking mm-hmm. themselves. Um, but yeah, having, having gear to cope with the environment um, and, and just understanding your settings beforehand, for me, those are important things. And if I can get everyone on that page, even as a, from a beginner to a professional, if everyone just has that base understanding, it makes the whole experience uh, easier and you can learn. Instead of taking a quarter of the trip to learn your camera gear again, um, yeah. And it just frustrates guests. Yeah, I was I I was thinking, you know, obviously you set the camera up a particular way for say landscape photography. It's very methodical. You're not particularly in a hurry with safari photography. Like you say, anything could happen anytime. Yeah. And if that camera is not working for you, it's getting in your way. So yeah, I just think like the auto ISO, particularly with a couple of bits and bobs you can do with it, really make it happen for you. Um, so yeah, I think it's great advice to be well on top of that stuff before you even hit the ground. Yeah. And the auto ISO, auto ISO helps and it, it makes you faster. It's, um, cause you can, you know, it's a, it's a matter of upping your shutter speed and the rest is pretty, pretty much taken care of. Mm-hmm. If you set the parameters and obviously the limits, so you're not shooting at 102,000 ISO when you don't have to, uh, that definitely helps. But yeah, I think with, like you say, with wildlife photography, things do happen fast. Um, you never know what you're going to come across. You know? And I tend to to um, encourage guests, you know, as you go out in the morning, you don't have to be, because we, you know, if I go to the Sabi Sands, we leave by spotlight. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I get out super, super early, like an hour before actual sunrise. And we mm-hmm. go with a spotlight. It's a good time of morning to to find lions, to find especially leopard, because you can just scan an area and at a distance pick up on the reflection of the eyes. And there you have a cat. And then, now you might have a half an hour to spare before the sun's actually up, um, which helps a lot. So, But in those times, it's extreme settings on your camera. You're often shooting at, at very high ISOs, very slow shutter speeds. And so I tend to talk my clients through the day in you know, an early, early morning, will be on a slower ISO or shutter speed than what you might want to in your head. But it's only because you have to manage the expectation of ISO. So there's definitely a journey as we go through the day back into the evening. It's almost, you know, you'll start low eyes and low shutter speeds, end up where you want. And at nighttime, you tend to come down a bit, um, you know, as the as you shoot under spotlight in some reserves. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's about it. There's a lot that happens in between. But you know, I think um, from there on, it depends on the level of the client, um, their mm-hmm. skill set. Uh, some guests I have that come with me, they are more than capable enough to travel on their own. You know, they've done 20, 30 safaris. They understand their gear, but they travel with me specifically because I'm able to see the moments, get them in the right positions, maneuver the vehicle, deal with the guide um, and get them the shot. You know, things that they don't necessarily want to think about. But they don't want me telling them, hey, try this or do that. Have you thought about this? They kind of just self-manage. And I just, yeah. I respect that. I help them where I can and try to add advice. But the other people in the car might be very hands-on and they need me to help them with every single thing. So, you know, I think from there, it's just you need an experienced guide that can that's able to distinguish between the people, meet them at the level they're at and yeah. take them take them further. Okay, so that brings me really to my next point, and this is what I really wanted to get to. I'm I'm glad we got to here. You're out there, camera set up, we're ready to do it in the car. We arrive at uh, a sighting. It's a yeah. s- some kind of scene of lions with a kill or some elephants. I don't know. It could be anything. Yeah. But 
for you, right? Where do you go here? What's your goal when you arrive as a photographer, uh, apart from being a guide, but as a photographer? What are you thinking when you arrive at the sighting? How do you go about trying to create those? Because we've got there, we've got the camera set up, and now we want to create emotive photographs of the amazing wildlife. Is there, is there a way that you get into it, or is it just like a documentary approach? You just see what's happening? Can you talk a bit about that process? I think in my style, I'm not really a like a super experimental photographer. Uh, like, but what I mean by that is, you know, I won't have three flashes on either side of the car and trying to do all sorts of fancy stuff. For me, I'm a storyteller, so I love looking at the scene and I love coming home with a story. I think for me, that's what captures me most in photographs. And my my favorite photographers, they tell stories, and I'm caught up in the moment of that scene. So I think for me, it starts the moment we arrive at a distance. You know, I I love photographing animals in the environment. I don't I don't mind the close-up portraits and the tight up, but I often, for me, it's just really beautiful is if you can perfectly capture a subject and give viewers a sense of place mm-hmm. and where that animal is. I think mm-hmm. more than ever before, it also ties into a conservation element because the environment wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the animal, but more so than that, the animal wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the environment. Uh, they need a place to live. And I think if you can beautifully capture that, you capture people's imaginations. Um, and uh, there's a lot of photographers out there that do it very well, and I'm inspired by that as well. But for me, it's important. Before you arrive, I feel too often clients and guests would, the first thing you do and think about is your telephoto lens. You grab that, you pick it up, and you are tight in on the action. You haven't even considered what's happening around you. And for me, that's one of the first things I do because the first lens you want to shoot on might be a 16 to 35. That might not be your trusted go to 400 f 2.8 or 600 f4. And that's an important thing to remember when you get when you get there. Just it doesn't take long, but look at the bigger picture. Look at what's happening around the frame. Um, we were at this beautiful line sighting um, in the Masai Mara a couple of years ago. And there was three or four male lions that killed a buffalo. And there were some jackals around, uh, quite a few jackals, six or eight or ten blackback jackals. And my photo- favorite photograph from that scene was uh, I shot on a, on a 7200 from a distance. And there's, there's this beautiful tree, endless plains, a male lion chasing a jackal with all the other jackals scattering and running out of the way. Now... Before that, I'd shot closer as well. And I have this beautiful frame where the male lion just fills the entire frame and the jackal's running away in front of it. But that's all great and I love the photograph. But for me, the better photograph out of that scene was just the scene where we pulled back completely and you got the same action, but you showed all the jackals, the buffalo, the endless plains behind, the beautiful sky and clouds. And that to me is a scene that I just get caught up into more. Um, and so for me, it really happens literally from the moment we arrive and I'm constantly looking, but I find people need to think outside of that viewfinder a little bit more, look at around what's, and also look at what's coming up. Very often animals are walking up into a frame or into, there's a, you know, you with cheetah and leopard and they love to climb. Even young lions love to climb. And all of a sudden, a hundred meters out from you, there's a, there's a big tree, you know? And so I know that it's a good chance they're going to go up that tree. So forget what they're doing now. 
and get into position for that tree because they're probably going to go up it. You get into the perfect spot, all of them up on the tree, and that's the shot to, to get. So I think it's just assessing the terrain, the habitat, where you're at, um, and, uh, and working it from there. And that's, that's kind of my process. It's, it's, um, I don't have um, a specific way of shooting or a specific mode or a specific exposure under, over. I get there and I, and I look at the story that you can tell um, and, and kind of work it from there, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's great. I think you're right. It's so easy, to, like someone like me who's way less experienced. You just you want to start taking pictures, you know, and it is exciting. And then you can go away after that, really, and re look back at your pictures, and you're just disappointed. So I, I think that's fantastic advice. Yeah. Um, I was wondering for you, because you've seen everything that everybody wants to see so many times, the big animals that we all want to see. When it's something. Um, like some of the recent photographs on your Instagram, there's a hawk with a frog, yeah, uh, kind of getting away, and there was the little painted reed frogs, yeah, or the the squirrel, the, the mama yes. squirrel with the baby squirrel. I was wondering when you've seen the big stuff so much, does that does those little things uh, start to mean much more to you? Does does that make sense? I think so, and I mean for me, I'm a naturalist. I'm a first and foremost. I love nature. So, I mean, you can put me out here without a camera in hand and I'd be happy. Just, mm -hmm. I just want my binoculars with me. I genuinely mean that, you know. Um, I, you know, I think, yes, I, I love nature. I love being out there. So, these things matter to me. I think as a first-time safari go, you do miss a lot of that because you, mm -hmm. I mean, I can't blame you. If this is your first trip to Africa, you want to see a leopard, you want to see a lion, you want to see something eating something, the giraffes, you want the big stuff, right? I, I fully understand that. And I don't discourage people from pursuing that because it's amazing. If you've come away and you've seen birds eating frogs and squirrels and, you know, like little things like that, and, and that was your safari, I'm sure you, you'll be a little bit disappointed. I mean, you can probably get squirrels back home and hawks and all these kind of things. So, but what I try and do is, especially in the beginning, it's great. Let's say I'm with you for 10 days. And we have uh, the first four or five days. We just focus, hit, do the leopards, do the lions. I kind of just give you that wow factor and that experience. I find people, they're naturally uh, uh, in their minds. They, they know they've seen these things. And they start noticing other, other aspects of what's around them. And then it's easier to stop at the, the hawk or the roller or the, you know, the baby impalas or just uh i think that makes sense right it's, it's just if you get that out of your system the same with the great migration you know if we go and do looking for the herds crossing the river you don't know when they're going to cross it's never a guarantee you can be there for 10 days not see anything so we really focus on the crossings the first few days get that out of your system but then after that there's a whole ecosystem either side of the river that you can explore there's a lot of other animals there that aren't a part of the crossing that's beautiful and, and great to see you know, and then you start introducing people to that. So it's like a journey. If I have 10 days with you, I'm not going to give you 10 days of leopard portrait, leopard portrait, leopard portrait. If I have 10 days with you, I've got to try and plan. All right, let's, let's give them the wow factor. Let's bring it down a bit. Look at some of the smaller things. Teach you how to track. Teach you about stars at night and how this works. And, uh, you know, like a little bit of stories around that. Teach you about bush art and medicine. But then all the while building up and, and trying to keep that experience of leopard and lion um, and I think that to me is great. But I find that as you come back for your second or third or fourth safari, um, you know, for a first timer to go like to Namibia, 
and look for desert adapted wildlife, it's not the greatest idea because you might not see anything. Mm-hmm. But on your third or fourth safari, you may not want to go and do the big, the big herds or the big cats. Maybe you want to go into a place that's a bit more wild where the animals are a little bit more shy because you're starting to see, search for that wild uh, element. Or you might want to go to Namibia where you work a bit harder and you see a bit less, but it's the same kind of reward. And I think that's a natural progression. You'll slowly, um, you know, as the visitor also start to, you've seen all this stuff. Now maybe you want to diversify a little bit and, and see some other places. And then you can come always uh, come back, you know, to the big stuff at any point. They, they are hopefully always going to be there. Fantastic. You've, you've painted such a great picture of, of the experience and the value that having someone like you on board brings. It's it's so amazing. I, when I've Thank been you. out there, you see people sometimes self-driving like in a, in a RAV4 or something and, and I'm going, you're just not going to see anything. I don't understand because <laughs> the guide, our guide that we were with was amazing just yeah. seeing things that I would have yeah. never ever seen. And um, so there's so much value in that. Um, I know we're talking about Africa mainly. I know you're doing trips to Brazil and India. And um, I just, for the sake of time, I'm just going to move on. But I I think people can check that out on the Tanda Africa website. Yes. Um, It looks so exciting. The snow leopards and the jaguars, just any footage I've seen of yours with the jaguars, shooting from the boat with the with the cat in the river it it's looks like eh? mind-blowing can you want to talk about that briefly yeah no just brief i mean it is it's it's, it's an incredible experience i've i've grown up dreaming about seeing it it's probably the one animal that i've most wanted to see my whole life is a jaguar it's just mystical magical there's this just an incredible animal so they've seen one in the wild for the first time blew my mind and and ever since then you know um, I've been back several times and going back again twice this year, twice next year, at least two times next year, because it's just a. I, I, it's I love Africa, and I know the name Tanda Africa. It's, it sounds like it's only Africa, but um, you know I go to places I enjoy and I love, and and this is one of them. And to see the big cats in the wild like that is they are magnificent animals. And then you know on top of that, you'll be sitting on a boat with a jaguar and like toucans will fly over your head or yeah. there'll be macaws up in the tree. So it's, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like another world. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a wild experience and the cats are active in the day. So photography is action packed because they base their activities on their prey, caiman and capybara. Those are active during the day and they just always on the hunt. So right. the experience and the photography is unreal. One of the parts of the experience that you can't uh, get through photography or, or videos is the you know the, the sounds and the smells and the obviously the wind in your hair if you have it. Yeah. But um, those like if you have you're just they're doing your thing and like we were on a sighting with a leopard in a tree and there were just elephants just sort of creeping by behind us. It was just it's so amazing. Yeah. You, you can't you can't factor those things in through the no. photography. Being there is is the thing that you need. So that that's it, yeah. Okay, let's quickly go to the gear round. Um, yes. I know that you mentioned you're uh, using Sony gear. Do you want to take me through your sort of camera lens combination? What comes with you typically? Yeah. So I always try and carry at least two camera bodies with me. When I can, I'll take three. Um, those at the moment, I have two Sony A1s um, that I can take with me as my prime bodies. One will be mounted to a telephoto lens, either a 400 f2.8 or a 600 f4. Um, 
And it just depends where I'm going. So if I go to East Africa, where I do less off-roading, I might be shooting at longer focal lengths. I'll take the 600 f4. If I do Southern Africa, uh, typically then I'll take the Sony 400 f2.8, um, always on the on the A1. Then I I I always have a 7200 ready. It's a, I know it's a go-to lens for wildlife photographers, and it is popular for good reason. And it's so versatile. And Sony's just released their new version, the Mark II of the 70 to 200, and it weighs a kilo. It's so light, um, right. and it feels fantastic in hand. I've just been using it a bit lately, so that's on my second A1 is my 70 to 200. Um, for the telephoto, I forgot to mention, I always have teleconverters with me—a 1.4 and a two times teleconverter. I feel it's important um, to maximize your reach. You know, you can't zoom. If you have to come back, you have the 70 200. And you can always move the vehicle, but if you need to get further, you're kind of stuck at the maximum focal length that you have. Um, another favorite lens of mine, so for example, my setup for the Pantanel, I'll more than likely take the, the 600 f4. A lot of my photography uh, over the last few years have been done with a 400 and a teleconverter. But then as a backup, um, I will take a 200 to 600 just to account for the, the loss of, of focal length. Mm -hmm. um, so then, so that that's the either 400 or 600 2A1s, and then I have a 16 to 35. It's always a bit of a toss up between a 2470, 1635, but I do love the 1635. I think it's great for if animals come closer, herds of elephants, uh, lions on a kill, nighttime photography with the stars. That 1635 is just a, it's an easy focal length, um, and that I often have in the daytime mounted on a A7R4 which is great for resolution and uh you know if i have any animals and environments that's always ready to go um and it doesn't have a, an extended battery grip on it so it's small compact and doesn't take up too much space so that's my that's usually the setup three usually three lenses um and three camera bodies okay a lens just out of interest like that has caught my attention i've been using it for a couple of years is the 135 f 1.8 not a traditional wildlife lens but it is really sharp. And for South Africa or Southern Africa, we do drives into the evening and you can off-road and get closer to animals like predators. It's really good to, uh, to try that out and you can get some pretty good photographs. Okay, cool. Fantastic. Um, great download. I'm going to put links for that stuff in the show notes yeah. so people can check it out. Yeah. Um, and okay, let's just move on. The next round is called Double Exposure, okay? Right. And this is where I'm going to ask you about one of your pictures um, that I particularly am interested in, and then I'll bounce it back to you to tell me the story behind one of your favorites as well. Sounds good. So I looked out a couple, and uh, yeah, a few. There's there's the, there's a crocodile with a zebra's head in its mouth, which is quite <laughs> striking. Um, but I think I'm going to go with there's, I've got a leopard in a tree, but there are two options. There's the one with the Milky Way behind, yes. and there's the one, the more recent one with the two leopards. I'm, this is the one I'm going for. Now that I'm talking it out, it makes yeah. sense. So it's a recent sighting, I think. And I just want to paint the picture for people listening as well. You got two leopards in a tree, and one is kind of leaping over oh, the yes, other yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. What's the story behind that one? Taken like two weeks ago in uh, the Salinda Reserve. And it was actually one of the better leopard sightings I'll ever have. I'll keep it short, but um, we were just, in Salinda, you don't really see a lot of leopards. So seeing leopards was great. We found two, they were mating, both very relaxed with the vehicles, um, which is always the thing with leopard. It's the one animal. People will go on safari, what did you not see? We didn't see a leopard. Mm -hmm. And so very lucky to have seen these two. And they, they were in quite thick brush, 
I wrote a blog about this. I can send you the link. But and they actually went out, and as they emerged from the thick brush, they came up next to a waterhole, like a very scenic, beautiful, serene waterhole. And they they lay down on the edge. There were reflections. They were mating. It was beautiful, uh, and just yeah, just really nice photographs. And we we're about to leave when one popped its head up and was very alert. And we didn't see what was bothering it. We couldn't see. They had obviously either heard something or seen something. But it, it was enough to get both of them up into this tree right next to the water. Mm -hmm. um, and so the male was a little bit disinterested at the, in the female at that time. So he just lay down halfway up, as you see on the photograph. Mm -hmm. um, and then she also joined him, but she would jump back backwards and forth over him, uh, trying to mate with him. So she'd jump over, run up the tree, lie down, come back to him, jump over, mm -hmm. look around, come back to him, jump over again. She did it about three or four times. And uh, you know, obviously much to my delight. Yeah. But again there, you know, I think a lot of people would have made the mistake of um, shooting too tight. That was shot on a 70 to 200. Mm -hmm. And so many people will want the tight shot of the cat jumping. Mm -hmm. But I've, I just wanted to give it a sense of place. Rather be further from the animal, show the tree, show the skyline. I shot really low. If I'd sat down and shot on the vehicle where I was, I would have had uh, bushes right behind him. Mm -hmm. So I took the camera, popped the screen out, and, and put it right down below, almost at tire level mm -hmm. of the game viewer, and shot up at them. And uh, it allowed the, 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 the kind of sky to fill up the space behind them, right. making them stand out. Yeah, so she's jumping through a, a lighter background rather than the darker background that's, of the foliage. Yeah, makes that, it... that's it. Otherwise, it falls, falls flat a bit. But yeah, that's the story. It was, a, it was a great moment, a great scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let me throw it back to you. Is there? I, you must have so many, but just something super memorable, uh, great photograph with a great story. The first one that popped up was a photograph of a lion called Scar, um, who was a beautiful male lion in, in Kenya, in the Masai Mara. And um, I'll, again, keep it short, but we went out looking for him. Uh, this is about six years ago, five or six years ago. And um, we went out looking for him. We found him with one male lion, one of his uh, coalition members, and um, they were lying down next to the road, and there's a bit of a storm brewing. But within 10 minutes, that storm in the distance was like right on top of us. And I've never had anything like it. We were sitting in the car with these two males, quite sleepy, not really doing that much. Um, and all of a sudden, we were hit by a wind that literally shook the car. It was like a rolling wind mass. I, I, I can't explain it, but it went from zero to 100 in an instant. And then within seconds after the wind hitting us, the male lions immediately were startled by this wind. And they kind of you know, popped their heads up and looked around and their mane was blowing everywhere. Then came the rain within seconds and with the rain came hail. And so you had this literally a storm where I couldn't even see the lions and the lions are about 20 meters from us. They disappeared. It was white all around us. We could just make out the lions. And the one male lion ran up, ran away in a direction we couldn't see it. And Scar jumped up and ran across uh, right to left. Um, and so I managed to get a few shots of, off of Scar running in the storm, trying to get to cover. And you have like branches in the air. Everything is just a haze um, with this male lion mane blowing everywhere. You can see the hail, like literally the ice balls falling through the sky. And, um, you know, obviously him having died, it's uh, and he, with his, I've got a tattoo of him on my arm. Uh, he's a lion that meant a lot to me. I loved seeing him. Mm -hmm. And that sighting just stands out. It's a beautiful photograph as well. Very unique. 
Yeah. Um, and it just stands out as uh, one I'll always remember. That sounds great. Yeah, the photographs are the photographs which we go for, obviously, as photographers, but the experiences sort of mean more, don't they? Um, yeah. So, okay, I'll track that picture down. I'll put a link in the show notes so people can see that. Thank you. Um, okay, if you're okay for a few more minutes, I'm just going quickly because I'm, I'm aware of your time. But, no, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Okay, last <laughs> last round is the quick fire round. I call it motor drive. It's like a photography pun. Nice. Anyway, so um, okay, you ready for some quick fire? I'm I'm ready. Okay. What, the answer is this a yes and no or is this a? Oh, well, it'll the the questions will let you know. Okay. All right. Wide angle or telephoto? Ooh, that's a very good one. This is tricky for you. It, yeah, I love both. I'll go just out of interest sake. I'll go. I'll go wide angle. Okay, so I I wondered if you would say that, and we obviously we think of telephoto for this kind of photography, but um, I saw a video of you pretty close with a crocodile, and and I know you would never <laughs> do anything dangerous, but yeah. that was definitely a wide angle shot for sure. Yeah, I think you know for me, and I know this is quick fire telephoto. I love, but I'm I'm more drawn when I get the opportunity to do it safely through the wider shot, seventy two hundred sixteen thirty five. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. Yeah. Coffee or not, tea? Not a quick fire shot. My bad. Oh, no, oh it's okay. The quick fire <laughs> thing is very loose. It's very loose. <laughs> okay. Coffee. Okay. I, this is what I'm, I'm interested in. Your spirit animal. Which safari animal would you be? Which one resonates with you the most? Jaguar. I know that's going to go against uh, my African roots, okay. but probably a jaguar. Do you think you share similar qualities? I do. I think so. Um, big, uh, if, jag- if I was a Jaguar, I think Jaguars would, would work out in the gym. I enjoy gym. They, they a little bit, uh, one track minded. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. Um, I, I walk over things. I break things. I, uh, you know, <laughs> I would say an elephant, but elephants are actually acutely aware of their surroundings, whereas I am not. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm Jaguars. I'm, I'm saving a space on this side of my arm scars over here and this is going to be a a jaguar betraying the leopard i'm very sorry for that but so yeah i think i fit the mold for a a big brawny male jaguar (laughs) cool i I would love to be a big brawny male but i'm more like a thompson's gazelle i think Um, (laughs) you know just like twitchy and looking over the shoulder maybe maybe a cheetah there you go. I think you put them on cheetah. Well, okay, that was really kind of you to say. It's a, it's a but, pleasure. Yeah, I love those Thompsons, though. <laughs> They're just so beautiful. They are beautiful. Um, okay, so what's your favorite sort of low-key animal, the ones that people don't really think of? Um, you know what? I think I just I, I came across one recently, and a, a Gerenuk is, uh, man, they were beautiful, like bizarrely beautiful and strange animals and okay. uh, i don't know if you've seen them before or know what they look like it's the animals with the tall long necks um like really long neck it's and they kind of stand up on their back legs and feed off branches okay. and uh they they were just yeah just uniquely beautiful. have a look at them is it like an antelope like an impala like or... an antelope looks like an impala with a giraffe neck okay basically. okay links in the show notes yeah expensive lens cloth or the corner of your shirt Lane sloth. Okay. Pro. Uh, what's your go-to emoji? Uh, <laughs> Probably the, the arm up, the, the, the muscle flex. I think okay. that's often it's in there. Okay, I get you. And 
Okay, local music round. Favorite South African band or musician? Oh, uh, let's go, Johnny Clegg. Johnny Clegg. Yeah. Have okay. you heard of him? No. Oh, you gotta check him out, man. What kind check of thing out. is it? It's uh, so he's he grew up in Natal and he spoke Zulu before he spoke English, and so he he started a, ba- a band, Johnny Clegg, um, and uh, with a whole bunch of local Zulus. And they make epic music. Johnny passed away a couple of years ago, but he was a South African icon, um, apartheid era icon, standing up for what what's right and so forth. And yeah, he's just a, an amazing um, South African musician, and we we love him very much. And his music is, if you listen to it, you want to go on safari. And I okay. love Johnny. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. We're gonna check that out. Um, what's a weird thing I can find in your camera bag? A weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got something. I am um, probably a beard comb. Yep, that fits the bill. That's, that's <laughs> probably. <laughs> that's for your beard, obviously. Yeah, so, that's it. Yeah, but um, I don't think a lot of people carry that on them. Yeah. So, name one photographer we should all know about. We should all go check out. Man, as I said, you the first guy that popped into my head is a South African called Hannes Lochner. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's. I don't um, think so. Yeah, he's. He's a quite you know, he's not as big on social, but he's done several books, uh, especially the Kalahari, Kalahari and the Botswana regions, okay. and he's just an excellent, great guy, excellent photographer, good friend of mine, and uh, so yeah, Hannes Lochner is probably the name I'd, I'd put up. Okay, last one. When do you feel at peace with the universe? When I'm in the bush with my family. Great. Simple as that. Marlon, I'm so grateful. I've so enjoyed this, and it's um, you can tell I'm enjoying it, right? So, Thank you, <laughs> yeah, really appreciate kind. your time. I know you're busy. You think you're moving house. You've got kids on the go. It's the busiest time of life. So, really, really do appreciate your time. I really appreciate you reaching out and having me on. Thanks for listening. Follow Marlon on Instagram, and if you're interested in going on a safari with him, check out the Tanda Africa website. Links and links to everything else we spoke about are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, then check out my conversations with Marcel Van Austin and Robin Moore. That's all for now. Take care. Enjoy your photography. I'll see you out there.